The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 is where we're going to be this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes about what to do when you feel overwhelmed. So 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. The word overwhelm can be used in a couple of different ways. One meaning of the word deals with the physical ruin or destruction that someone or something can experience, such as when one country gets overwhelmed by another. But another meaning of the word overwhelm, and it's the one that we're probably the most familiar with, is the one that deals with or speaks to the mental, the emotional, or psychological effects we experience when we undergo a time of stress. When we experience that type of overwhelm, it can show up or manifest itself in various ways in our lives. It can, for example, show up physically, such as causing shortness of breath, headaches, an increased heart rate. It can also show up in our lives mentally, such as causing a lack of focus or inability to process information. And it can also show up in our lives emotionally, causing irritability or a sense of hopelessness. But one of the worst manifestations of overwhelm, I think, is when it causes us to shut down, when it causes us to procrastinate and even to give up and to quit. When we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we see that he was a man who experienced many high points in his life and in his ministry. He was able to see the Lord Jesus Christ. He was commissioned to start many Gentile churches. But with those high points, he also experienced challenges. So with those high points, he also experienced, just like us, uncertainty and danger and just not knowing what would happen next. But for all the stress and uncertainty that the Apostle Paul experienced, he never quit, but rather demonstrated this beautiful resilience in his life in the face of adversity. But what I find interesting is that not everybody associated with the Apostle Paul demonstrated the same resilience. One notable example would be that of John Mark. John Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, and he really didn't get too far in that first missionary journey because the Bible records for us that he turned around and he went home. The Bible says that John or John Mark, or departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Another notable example, and one who really serves as a cautionary tale for all of us in ministry, is a man named Demas. And the Bible records for us, Paul says rather in 2 Timothy, that Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And though I'm not really interested in the whys or the wherefores of why John Mark and Demas did what they did, I'm really interested in this, though, and that is we have a group of men who apparently had the same calling, individuals who experienced the same circumstances and adversity, but some remained and showed resilience and others did not. So the overwhelming question that I have this morning, and I want to try to answer this morning, is, well, what made Paul different? 
How was he able to manage the overwhelming moments of his life and his ministry? What did he understand? What did he value? What did he do that kept him from yielding to the pressure of overwhelm? I'm talking this morning to a college community, which is made up of college students and faculty and administrators. And you are a group of people who live under constant deadlines, under many competing demands, and you're in a place where there's a constant pressure to perform. So given the nature of the college experience, I'm guessing that some of you have felt overwhelmed before, or you will. And perhaps for some of you, it's something that you experience all too often. Now, if you were to do just a Google search on how to manage overwhelm, you'll find some of the same techniques and strategies coming up over and over again. You'll see recommendations such as breathe deeply, to watch your diet, to to exercise on a regular basis, and to get enough sleep. And just so that you know, I'm a believer in these. I think these are just good common sense solutions. I'm a big believer in breathing. It's a good thing. Um, If you have an increased heart rate, taking a nice deep breath can really help to settle you. Um, Watching what you eat, getting plenty of rest, exercising, all of these can help mitigate some of the pressures that we experience in life and in the college experience. So I think that these are all common sense. And something else that I know is that the Bible is not opposed to common sense solutions. Probably the best example of this is found in the life of the prophet Elijah. I have the passage up here up on the screen. Elijah had this great victory on Mount Carmel, but not too long after that, we see him on the opposite extreme or in an opposite extreme where he is depressed, where he is despairing, where he just wants to quit and give everything up. And one of the things that I find interesting is that when God speaks to him, what he does not ask Elijah is, okay, Elijah, are you reading your Bible every single day? How is your prayer life? You know, on a, on a scale of one to 10, what is your relationship like right now with the Lord? God did not go through any of those, um, you know, checking of the boxes, but rather what God allowed Elijah to do was to sleep, was to eat, and then to sleep a little bit more, and then to eat a little bit more. And Elijah was given what he needed to get to the next step. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, that taking care of yourself, it's important. It can help to create balance in our lives. But what I want to speak about this morning really goes beyond just the common sense solutions, how to manage overwhelm from that standpoint. But rather, what I want to focus on this morning would be the ways in which we should think about overwhelm so that we can go merely beyond managing it to rather being stewards of it being resourceful with the overwhelm that you and I invariably experience. So the first thing that I want to draw to your attention is this, that in order for us to be stewards of overwhelm, we need to know that we live life in the body and that the body has limitations. You're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me have you look at verse number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. The Bible says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So when Paul is talking about this treasure in earthen vessels, he's making a reference to the gospel. If you go up to the previous verse, right at the end, he describes the gospel as the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
So what he's saying here is that God has willed that the most precious message of all, the gospel, be carried in and communicated through the most fragile of vehicles, and that is the human body. It's one of the most amazing and immediate and personal paradoxes in the New Testament, where we have the most precious of things in the most fragile and unpredictable of things. And the reason for this is found right at the end of verse number seven, that the power may be of God and not of us. So in other words, God gets the glory for everything that is done. But the phrase that I want us to focus on is at the beginning of verse seven, and that is the phrase earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. When Paul describes our bodies as earthen vessels, he is describing our bodies as baked clay, which gives the idea of that which is fragile or easily broken. So when we think about overwhelm and how to manage it, it's important for us to know that life in the body, in a sense, is fragile, meaning that we are prone to not only physical ailments like illness and disease and injury, but also to emotional stresses like anxiety, like worry, like fear, like stress. And though it would be amazing if we could be absolutely bulletproof against overwhelm, it's more realistic to think of it as something that we skillfully manage, not something that we totally eradicate. Now, if you look at verse number eight, Paul says this, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. The words troubled and perplexed are words that Paul uses to describe his own experiences. And there is no, there seems to be no meaning whatsoever in this that Paul is indicating that these emotions were in any way sinful. It was just part of living life. And what we can take from this is that living life in the body means that we can expect to face emotional and mental pressure. Now, adding some texture to this, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 8. I'm going to start right at the beginning of the verse, just to give us some context. But Paul says this, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. So in chapters 1 and 4, we have Paul describing his experiences with the words pressed, despaired, troubled, and perplexed. Now, the word troubled back in chapter 4 in verse number 8 gives the idea of being pressed, similar to how grapes are pressed or squeezed. And perplexed gives the idea of being lost or being at a loss. And perhaps for some of you this morning, that is exactly how you feel. You feel the pressure, you feel the pressing in, you feel the squeezing of multiple tasks, responsibilities, decisions that you need to make. And I don't think it's inaccurate to say that that pressure we face is made worse when we are perplexed, when we don't know what to do. We don't know how to decide in a situation. So when we have many things going on in our lives and we don't know how to handle them, now we are in the perfect place to experience overwhelm. And it's in that place where we can be a steward, where we can be resourceful, where we can learn and where we can grow. So the first point this morning is to know that we live life in the body and the body has limitations. But number two, we need to know that we have an amazing calling, a calling that motivates us to endure. 
Look again at 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Paul says this, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Again, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Paul was able to persevere, to show resilience in the face of adversity, because he had a calling and because he valued that calling. And it's when we understand verse number one, that Paul sees himself as a man who has a calling, that we better understand verses eight and nine. Look at the bottom or down at verses eight and nine in chapter four. Paul says, we are troubled on every side, but not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. In other words, verse one explains verses eight and nine. What kept Paul from distress? What kept him from despair? What gave him that inner resilience? It was his calling. What kept him from being forsaken? What kept him from being destroyed? It was the God who gave him that calling. Now, hold your place here and go back to Acts 27. Acts 27. This is a great episode in the book of Acts. Acts 27. Now, the context is that Paul is a prisoner bound for Rome, and the crew on the ship, they get caught in this horrible storm. We're in Acts 27 and verse number 20. Notice the verse here, verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. So you get the picture. Everybody is thinking that they are going to die on the ship in this tempest. Now look at verse 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall no loss of any man's life among you, but of that of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, in whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And it's verse 25 that I want us to look at, and it's this, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Notice that phrase again, for I believe God. So we go from despair to hope. And how do we get from point A to point B? Well, it was what made the difference. It was God's word, it was God's plan, and it was God's will. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan illustrates this same thing. There is a, an instance in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian and Hopeful end up in the Doubting Castle, and they're under the oppression of giant despair and his wife, diffidence. Now, diffidence is an interesting word. It doesn't give the idea of indifference, but rather it gives the idea of a lack of faith or a lack of confidence. So what John Bunyan is doing is he's bringing together, again, lack of faith, doubt, and despair. And John Bunyan knew the Christian life well enough to know that when those three things are together, bad things happen. When we have a lack of faith, it leads us to doubt, which leads us to despair. 
And the way in which John Bunyan writes this, Christian and hopeful, I think they're in the doubting castle for like four days. And then all of a sudden, Christian reaches into um, his pocket and he pulls out, he says, oh, I forgot that I had this. And it's the key of promise, the key of promise, which represents the promises of God's word to help them escape the doubting castle. Now you're thinking, okay, well, I don't have the same calling as Paul. I've never seen the Lord Jesus Christ. I have never heard the voice of an angel before. Like, I've never heard an angel tell me, okay, everything is going to be okay. You will pass introduction to literature. Um, That financial need that you have, it's going to be met. Um, That person that you're worried about back home, they're going to be okay. None of us have heard that. However, the Bible does speak about our calling in the New Testament, and there's a number of verses that we could go to that speaks to that. But the one that I think that is the most direct and rich and simple for us to understand is found in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 that says that we should be called, that we should be called the sons of God. It's a simple verse, but it's rich in meaning. Because as children of God, we have a new status, we have a new destination, and we have a vital relationship with the living God who loves us and knows us and who is all wise. Which means that the overwhelming circumstances we find ourselves in have a purpose, they have meaning, and they're relevant to us. So when we experience uncertainty, confusion, frustration, and pain, that gives us the opportunity now to show forth faith, waiting on God, patience in him, and confidence in him. One of my favorite devotional books is The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And one of my favorite quotations speaks to this matter of faith and endurance and relationship with God. And it's the following. Often, when you feel you are far away from me, I am nearer than you think. When you reckon everything is all but lost, a greater reward for your striving is often just ahead of you. Everything is not lost just because things are going against you. So don't let your present feelings affect your judgment and don't cling obstinately to any mood of depression whatever its origin, letting it settle as though you had lost all hope of ever coming out of it. So how do we manage overwhelm? How do we become the stewards of overwhelm? We remember that we have an amazing calling, called to be the children of God, which gives us what we need to endure because there is a reward for us when we do. Number three, we need to know that we have a faithful God, a faithful God who sustains us. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number one. And let's pick up again in verse number eight. Second Corinthians chapter one and verse number eight. Paul writes this, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but notice, but in God which raiseth the dead. What did Paul believe about God? That God is the God of the resurrection, of bringing the dead back to life. That's what he believed in, and he used that attribute of God to help make sense of his past, to give him hope in the present, and to give him hope for the future. Look at verse number 10. Notice what he does here. So he says, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us 
from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. So what I find interesting about this passage is that Paul states the fact that he knows about God and God which raiseth the dead, and he uses that for his present and his future. So to state it simply, Paul's faith was in a God who is faithful to his word and faithful to his character. And it's Paul's faith in a faithful God, which gives him the strength to take the next step to finish his mission because he knows that God will take care of him. And it serves as an example to us. So when it comes to the faithfulness of God, what is it that we need to know? Number one, we should know that God is faithful to give us wisdom. God is faithful to give us wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, it says in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. One of the reasons why we experience overwhelm is that there is an element of not knowing, not knowing what to do, how to do something, how to decide. And here we have the promise. We ask for wisdom and God is faithful to give that to us. Closely related to that, God is also faithful to give us clarity and confidence. God is faithful to give us clarity and confidence. I love Proverbs 16, 3, which says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. This verse means a lot to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, this is a verse that I learned from one of my teachers, Dr. James Chapman. I was an English major, and I had Dr. Chapman for a lot of classes. He was my Shakespeare teacher. He was my advanced grammar teacher. I had him for a couple classes in the grad school. And he taught me a lot about my subject. He taught me a lot about teaching. But one of the most important things he taught me was the importance of this verse, because it was meaningful to him. And what this verse shows me is that if I do what I'm supposed to do right now, I walk uprightly, I have pure motives, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do right now, if I'm fully committed to the here and now, not distracted by the, by the past, not brooding over the future, my thoughts will settle, I will see clearly, things will click, because God is not the author of confusion. He's faithful for that. And then number three, God is faithful to complete in us what he started. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And this is a verse that meets us as students, as faculty members, as administrators, right where we live. As believers, we believe that God leads us, he guides us, he protects us, he calls us. So the bottom line to this is simple. God will complete in us what he started. Now, it may not be pretty. There may be some setbacks. There might be some bumps and bruises. We may have to learn some things along the way, but God is faithful to bring us to our destination. And then last, number four, we need to know that we have an influence on others, an influence for good. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number four. And let's start again at verse number eight. Before we read the passage, though, it's important to know that the Christian life, and you would agree with me on this, the Christian life is one that is supposed to be lived in community with other believers. Really, that's why we go to church, not only to worship, but to be with other believers, where we encourage each other, where we edify each other, where we build up each other for the sake of the gospel. So all that to say that what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 should be read in the context of Paul's relationship with the church of Corinth. 
So look again at verse number eight. Paul says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, notice, death worketh in us, but life in you. Go down to verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. And this is the one observation that I want to make from this. If Paul quit under the pressure that he faced, if he acted in a way that was inappropriate or unsavory when he was in those tight places, he wouldn't have the credibility to do what he was called to do. And without that credibility, people would not have received the message that they needed to hear. So with that overwhelm, Paul was a steward of it. He was resourceful with it. He used it. One of my favorite verses related to Paul's suffering and his credibility. And it's a shocking verse. It's in Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, when Paul says, from henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. When we think about qualifications, we have to do a lot of things. We need education. We need a diploma. We need internships. We need letters of recommendation. There's lots of things for us to show that we're credible. But for Paul, what he carried was his life experiences, his endurance through many difficulties. Those were all the qualifications he needed. And when you and I can weather the storm with faith and self-control, it gives us the credibility we need to be an influence for good. So when we think about overwhelm, it's a good thing to manage it, but it's a better thing still to be stewards of it by knowing our calling, knowing God's faithfulness, and knowing that we have an influence on others. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.